0: People are the best indicator of what we can or should be doing within an organization. They're the ones who can, if they're doing it in the trenches, so to speak, they can give us the feedback uh, about whether or not they find this to be helpful or the right thing in accomplishing what we've told them their job outcomes are. And so when you see performance issues, you see turnover issues, you see operational inefficiencies many times. Those are just symptomatic of a culture that doesn't have the right people working together to achieve the outcome.
1: Welcome to the HR L&D podcast with your host, Nick Day. Tune in to discover what it takes to truly develop within human resources as we delve deep into growth, engagement and leadership strategies that will help you unlock the hidden potential within your business. By listening to this podcast, we hope to empower you and your workforce towards achieving significant HR organisational success
2: welcome to the latest episode of the HR l podcast. So in this episode, I got an opportunity to sit down with Devin Halliday. Now, Devin is someone who proudly served in the US Navy. He's a Northern California native, and he's explored the people, places and cultures across the beautiful planet where he's been amazed, he's been humbled and he's been outraged. But most importantly, he's been inspired to share his lessons with audiences worldwide. Devin has become an award winning sales leader with a diverse background and passion for people. Now, he hosts the podcast called The Belonging Factor, a fantastic podcast where he elevates the dialogue around diversity, inclusion and, of course, belonging. All very relevant subjects for a human resources and learning and development audience. And Devon is the founder and chief belonging architect at Rudiment Solutions, a people empowerment company that works with individuals and organisations across the world to help them thrive in all things human resources, People, process, and profits related. It's a fantastic episode full of useful information that you can take away and implement in your HR business straight away. So tune in. I hope you enjoy and I hope you're inspired as much as I was. Cheers.
1: Five quick questions, understanding where we are to know where we are going.
2: Devon Halliday, really good to have you on the sofa next to me on the HRND podcast. Devon, welcome. How are you feeling today?
0: Hey, thank you so much. I'm very glad to be here. I'm feeling excellent. Where I'm at right now, uh, we're recording this pretty early in the morning for me. So I'm I'm enjoying the coffee and uh, looking forward to a lively conversation.
2: Good man, me too. Well, listen, let's dive straight in. First and foremost, Devin, I wondered if you could give our listeners a bit of insight into Rudiment Solutions and how you've been empowering workforces with the work that you do.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So for me, uh, coming out of 18 years in the corporate world, leading in a Fortune 15 company, Uh, into starting my own business. And Rudiment Solutions, it is a people empowerment company. Everything that we do and every approach we take to solving, whether it's strategic problems, operational problems, sales metrics, or any of the people-related metrics around turnover, uh, training, learning, retraining, and uh, and of course hiring, all of those involve people. And as you empower people, you empower strategic outcomes, you empower great outcomes. So for me, it was about understanding that if we're all people working with people, we can't just keep going down our process and strategy road and wonder why things aren't working if we don't align people into the corporate values, into the team values and create and build a culture that makes a lot of sense. So the work I do is really about working with a company who says, hey, we have a a turnover problem uh, we just can't seem to find the right people. And instead, instead of directly working to, to look at what their recruitment process looks like, we, we get to that. It's more about starting with what are your current culture and company values? And then where do those live and show up every day in behaviors? And so that's the fun part of the work is really going to the root or the rudiment of the, the issue rather than just addressing symptoms. Oftentimes turnover is a symptom of something bigger to solve, and that's what we do. Fantastic, and it's really clear that you're someone very passionate
2: about you know, making sure people feel like they do belong at work. But why do you think, and we're gonna discuss this in a little bit more detail when we talk about your book later on, but why in particular do you think
0: belonging should be a real priority for HR departments at the moment? So the, the sense of belonging really embodies this idea that there's trust, that there's aligned values that there's collaboration that there's a a good diverse both you know uh in your typical uh views of diversity whether it's gender ethnicity uh disability maybe veteran status um but also that cognitive or intellectual diversity right so so when you have a sense of belonging you have these things happening within your organization that empower people to take risk, to be innovative, to be willing to fail, to be willing to go against the grain, to come up with a new, better, or different idea, or at least have the confidence to voice it. Because now you're talking about an environment where people are showing up literally one and a half times more productive, just on average, than they were before. But when you start to look at that across the organizational level, you have three and a half more times showing up at their full potential when it comes to innovation. And you know, don't trust me, this is an Ernst and Young study. They, they did the, the details and the dirty work to, to find these answers. But when you have that sense of belonging, you start to see things like stress reduction. You start to see things like energy go up, like commitment, collaboration, and innovation go up. So that's why solving at the root or solving at belonging and culture Is So powerful because also you now don't just retain your best employees with a culture like this, but they're advocates for you. They're recruiters for you. They're bringing like-minded, similar people to your organization as potential employees.
2: Sure. And as an HR recruiter, this is something that we come across very regularly. And retention is a real hot topic for businesses. And when they come to us, they want us to find candidates that are culturally aligned to the values that they have as a business as well. And actually, it's very clear that one of the the best ways to improve retention is actually to ensure that when you recruit from the outset, you're recruiting people that are aligned with your cultural values and your cultural behaviours. Now, this is something you talk about quite a lot in your book. You say that, you know, sometimes a lot of the, the, the businesses out there, will have Values written on a wall, they'll have big meetings where they decide what their values should be and what their culture should be, but actually in reality they're not aligned they're not necessarily living those cultures or those values in the real real place environment. So I wonder if you could just
0: talk to me a little bit more about this really. And so alluding back to to what I said earlier, what I really mean by this is all businesses understand the importance of having a defined internal values or culture you know credo statement and they tend to live in very visible places to help make sure that all employees are aware of what this value proposition is that the the company says it has internally as its its code of ethics so to speak what many of these value statements fall short of is defining what it looks like to live those values it's a lot of what they are but not how they exist within each role, job function, job title, or job description. What the important part is then is is where where we can stop falling short is in an organization, uh, particularly if you are maybe an HR business partner, HR manager within an organization that has many employees, Like one of the first things that I would be thinking in your role is Let me evaluate what we say our culture is, what we say we believe in and and have as values across all the job functions that I'm directly responsible for helping support and kind of go by job title. What would this job title do behaviorally for each of those bullet points or each of those sentences within our value statement? And so what, what would it look like? And then that way you can work back better with supervisors and managers on helping them build and create a set of actions that brings people together creates a culture of cohesiveness creates a culture ad that then every single employee has a very clear definition of not only what their responsibilities are from what shows up on you know a stack ranking or KPI sheet but also what those things are that fulfill both the human need to feel appreciated and uh, like a contributor And then the business need of delivering exceptional outcomes, because truly the work I do is about delivering exceptional outcomes through making sure that your foundation is strong. Because we can have the best processes and best strategies in the world, but if we don't have people engaged, interested, or valued, then they're not going to deliver their best to maximize those outcomes.
2: Sure, that makes absolute sense and actually I've been recruiting now for 17 years and we often get job specs for a variety of roles and often the values within those job specs will just be very generic bullet points that don't necessarily mean an awful lot uh, because it's very rare that a job spec will contextualise why those values are important to the specific role that we're recruiting for and I I can absolutely see why as a recruiter it's, it's imperative that we try to understand more about how values fit into the overall requirements of the role so that we can then obviously better recruit more aligned candidates with that in mind how would you recommend the company went about ascertaining its values
0: yeah so it it starts uh, oftentimes in my work what i find is is there's a great set of identified values and there's a big picture or very macro view of what the impact of those values are socially economically organizationally um in the community right that's the it's it's typically well understood now Less often, I find that that there's just a, a big disconnect that that it was a generic set of integrity, honesty, uh, forthright. You know, all, so some of these just kind of generic phrasing. Uh, l- less often, I find that. And so, what what I would say is, if you're in the first boat where you have a pretty well crafted understanding of what it means to have good corporate values internally and how those reflect, you know, in the work, then the then the most important piece, and this is the tip that I'll give. It's literally the first thing I do when I walk into any organization and we're trying to solve any problem is I I go back to looking at values and I ask about what the advantage is to employees to follow those values. And then I ask the second question, what does it look like? So this is the part I already shared. I, I won't necessarily go through all the details again, but again, for any leader, any Uh, support personnel in in an HR role to go through and examine, do these values truly fully align, number one, with what it is that we, who we believe we are? And then number two, can every single employee understand within their role, what specific behaviors or actions they need to do to uphold and support those values? And then of course, why that's important both to them and to their work output or the organization. So that that's that's kind of the first group who already has this idea but isn't really seeing it 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 exists throughout every single person in the organization now if you're in the second group that's the part where it, you know if you've crafted a a, a few bullet points and a, a few I, ideal situations that you would consider your values the most important thing at that point is to ask yourself is this true is this truly who we are what we stand for and what we're about do I really believe this as a leader, as a senior executive leader or as a senior um support person? Do I truly believe this? And am I willing to kind of, you know, stake my career on saying, all right, everybody in the building understands and knows what this is? And the answer at that point is typically no. So then you revert back to that first process I gave you, right? It's 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 being honest with yourself first and being willing to be um kind of aware of your blemishes or aware of, or of those those blind spots that you may have had in crafting who you are as a culture and an organization.
2: So with that in mind, how often do you often find that companies change their values as they grow and as they change? Presumably that, that's something that can happen as a, as a company evolves, the values will need to evolve with them. Is that something that, that,
0: that you see? Yeah, so uh, initially in the initial part of the work, uh, oftentimes, we'll just better define a value. So we'll, we'll bring some more clarity or more specificity to the words. Take it from a, a word or two-word two, two word phrase to maybe a sentence that really truly articulates that value or, and sometimes even scratch something because the organization truly isn't capable maybe of being involved in the community as a value in the way that they envision it's a little bit more down the road, right? So we we set that as a, a future planning in in adding that value. and you know maybe the, they just don't have the resources currently to be able to do that. So that's that's the first part. Now to answer the second part of your question, here's here's the cool part, all right? Everything changes in organizations. We all know this, right? Whether it's personnel, it's process, sometimes it's product or service offering. Um, and certainly the way we approach our market and the way we approach pers- prospective employees. Uh, most organizations do not consistently update their values. And so when I'm working with an organization, we always look at the planning of what their next five years or sometimes 10 years, that's a little further to look out unless you're already an established, very large organization. But we we look at what are those things that we are progressively working towards in our outcomes, the business outcomes, right? Growing, scaling, um, new markets, international movement, et cetera. And so then we, we start to kind of plan out what those those milestone markers should be to indicate, hey, it's time for us to reevaluate our values. So I advocate for at least an annual review by um, the executive team and potentially even involving a board where necessary to to evaluate that, but also always tying it to who do we see ourselves as in the marketplace and then making sure that everything internally supports that.
2: Sure, sure. That's a really fantastic response. Thanks, sir. Thanks for that, Devin. So in your book, The Belonging Factor, How Great Brands and Great Leaders Inspire Loyalty, Build Community and Grow Profits, you talk about five shared characteristics of the greatest brands and the most successful leaders. I wondered if you could share those characteristics with our listeners now. So um, please take notes if you are listening to this, of course, but so that they can hopefully sort of start to adopt some of those characteristics within their own businesses
0: yeah so um with with the book for anybody who reads it or actually anybody who just wants to go get a set of tools i offer a free digital toolkit that you can get at book.belongingfactor.com and it has a, a wealth of free tools and resources that can help from anywhere from leadership training activities to team involvement activities uh sample agendas uh, worksheets and other supported activity, as well as some really cool like media resources to just be able to to kind of work up. But what what I would tell you specifically, um, let me just answer the five characteristics that I've identified as aligning between brands and leaders. And the reason brands and leaders is is kind of weird. right? A lot of folks initially when they hear that say, "Well, okay, you're talking about an organizational you know outcome, and you're talking about an individual person outcome." or or set of behaviors, how can they align? You know, organizations are nameless, faceless, right? So I, um, in my research, really, I I operated from a point of view and perspective that a brand is attracting, interfacing with, and affecting people. And a leader is, if you're doing it well, attracting, but also interfacing with, and affecting, and leading people. So if we're talking about people working with people, uh, and a brand is just a a collective of, of the people who you know develop it so we're talking about people working with people then where is there an overlap in the part that an organization can add into its functions that is seamless for all parts of people working with people here's the five things number 1 be authentic model what's expected be great at self analyzation be transparent but but really truly be authentic and show that right that's number 1 and and, and again brands and leaders number 2 empower others champion others Give ownership, give a voice, advocate, provide support, right? So it's about empowering others, whether it's empowering your customer or prospective customer through the service or product you offer. Um, and then again, internally empowering those for which you are tasked to work with or lead. Number three, be absolutely maniacal about how you align values within your organization. So that starts with defining what those roles, behaviors, expectations look like. And then of course, making sure that you're inspecting those and that you're constantly articulating the vision, not just the action. So there's, there's that full circle kind of what and why, and then you really get into the, the nuts and bolts of how the fourth piece, and, and this is the one that, that seems most intuitive, but that's to foster a sense of collaboration or community building, building people who are working together, coming together, whether it's socially in the case of maybe a brand. Um, or whether it's in a, in a way as a team where they understand each other, they're able to be human. They can kind of bring those, those connections offline, whether that's, you know, getting together early before a team meeting or, um, whatever it looks like, but that there's, there's that true connection to others. And then the last one, the fifth one is to remember that perspective matters and a great way to have a, a huge advantage in any space is to have a diverse mix of perspectives in your team, in your, in, in your meetings. And so it's not about diversity always from a gender ethnicity side. It's very much about that cognitive or intellectual diversity, right? So, so you start measuring what matters. You start encouraging constructive dissent, you start bringing people into the dialogue and conversation that are actually culture adds to your team, not just culture fits. And I guess the, one of the things that I hear a lot when I, when I do work with uh, particularly recruiters is the, The company is looking for a candidate who's a culture fit. And so so my question really to, to organizations when I work with them is, are you trying to fit people into your existing culture? If so, you're talking about generally, you're talking about keeping your culture intact or keeping it stationary. When my perspective is you should be looking for culture ads, people who are going to help elevate the other people, kind of the rising tide lifts all boats. You're going to elevate and uh, and build your culture. So this is a culture ad, not a culture fit.
2: I absolutely love that. The idea of elevating culture is much more progressive than aligning culture. Though. That's fantastic. I'm going to use that. In my future recruitment pictures, when clients ask me to find a candidate, I'm going to try and find someone who can elevate their culture to the next level. Let's uh, let's think in progressive terms. Fantastic. Thanks so much uh, so much for that, Devin. Fantastic. Okay so, okay, so I'm actually going to come away from the podcast for a moment because I'm really delighted to say that Devin has offered up two signed copies of his book, uh, which is The Belonging Factor, How Great Brands and Great Leaders Inspire Loyalty, build community, and grow profit. So if you would like to win a copy of one of Devin's books, all you need to do is just ask this very simple question. What is the name of Devin Halliday's podcast? If you can find the answer to that question, email it over to me at nick at jgarecruitment.com to put yourself in the drawer for one of two signed copies of Devon Hallibay's latest book. So thank you very much, Devon, for offering those up in this competition on the HRL&D podcast. Uh, for now, let's dive back into the podcast and find out a little bit more about the man behind the vision. Let's find out a little bit more about you. Time to find out more about you so, Devin, how do you relax in your downtime?
0: Uh, so, uh, I, I've, I've spent most of my life uh, involved in music and around music. So, other than spending time with my family, when I, when I get a chance to just kind of blow off steam, it is always behind my drum set or with a guitar in my hand.
2: Well, hey, I'm a, I'm a drummer too, so I totally understand the hobby. And I have to say it's a fantastic way to smash out some frustration if you're really feeling the tension at work. I've played for about 17 years, really enjoy it. So it's great to have a fellow drummer on the podcast. Brilliant.
0: Oh, my gosh, it's the best. It uh, it allows you to to get just, I mean, you can hit it hard and it... And it- doesn't hit back and you know it's it, it's fantastic right and then uh, every once in a while every once in a while you come up with something that you really like and you're like ah oh, yeah I, i'm gonna do that some more right whether it's playing along to a new song or it's it's working on a cool little groove but certainly not just the the getting the aggression out but the creativity part of it, it it's um it's definitely something that you know just kind of re-energizes re- refills my energy battery
2: Excellent. Well, I can totally understand that. There's something just about flashing your drum kit that makes you feel good. So look, next question, who have been the two
0: people that have really had the most influence on your career? So most recently, I would say the, one of the most influential people I worked with, uh, a man called Darren Webster. Uh, I, I actually directly reported to him for a couple of years in, uh, in my last job. And I was living to, let me give you some context. I was living in Hawaii and I was loving it. It was amazing. And I, I met this, this gentleman, Darren Webster, who was running uh, a big part of the business out in Pennsylvania here in the, in the U S. And so, you know, Hawaii to Pennsylvania, very different, tropical, amazing waves, ocean, um, snow, hot, humid, uh, no ocean, right, so that, I mean that's the difference be- between these two areas and um and after meeting him and and talking with him a few times and and him saying, "Hey, listen, uh, why don't you get on my calendar? Let's every week on Tuesday talk for a half hour just about whatever is going on in the world in life or in our businesses and after doing that for a few months, uh, I just I thought to myself i I really need to learn from this person and so I ended up moving from Hawaii to Pennsylvania to work for him and learn from him. And, um, and we've both since left the organization and are both doing different things, but we continue to actually have e- an even further evolved relationship where I'm mentored and guided. And, and I'm even giving mentorship and coaching back, which is fantastic. Um, so it's, it's that symbiotic partnership rather than just that one-way mentorship that has been so uh, powerful for me and very inspirational. Um, the other person that I would tell probably my biggest inspiration is somebody who um I recently lost, and that's my father. Um he he was a person who you know, from from the the very, very onset taught me to believe in myself and that ultimately anything was possible as long as I had a plan, had the right attitude, and was willing to do the work to make it happen. And um, you know as a father, as a parent, many times that showed up in our relationship together where he was reminding me that you got to work harder, you got to have a plan next time, or, hey, do you have the right attitude to get the outcome you want? You've got a great plan, but things aren't going the way you want. What's your attitude look like? Because sometimes that pushes you forward. And I've been blessed to have two sons that I get to pay that, that mantra forward as well.
2: Oh, well, I'm sure they're very, very proud of you. That's for sure. Are there any resources that have really
0: helped you on your journey? Yes. Yeah, so many resources have, have helped me on my journey. The, I would tell you one of the greatest resources that I discovered was uh, the power of connecting with people and how, <laughs> considering the work I do, um, uh, that should have been more obvious to me, but the power of connecting to people and how willing people are to be supportive um, offer their two cents or offer unsolicited criticism that is helpful. Um, but th- you know, no matter how you go about it. So the, the biggest resource for me in the last you know year or so of my journey, I would tell you has been LinkedIn actually as a resource, not only is there amazing content and, and not LinkedIn as a recruitment or job seeking tool, but LinkedIn as a community of people. And, um, And so that resource, not only again, the articles and wealth of information that is shared, but beyond that, the connection to other people, I've made more connections to other people who I've been able to help or have been able to help me uh, either in the work or in just understanding an approach to something or in some cases getting uh, most recently, I would tell you uh, in getting in contact with the right publisher to work with me on my book.
2: I totally agree. It's definitely overused by recruiters, which is a bit of a shame because there are a lot of people that just use it for spamming purposes. But on the flip side, it's an incredibly powerful tool, LinkedIn, particularly for connecting people. It's obviously how we got connected in the first place, Devin. So have to champion it from that side of things. And if you want to use it as a connecting tool or as a tool for... You know education uh, for uh, conversation then it's really really powerful and then um, you know i just wish more people used it in the right way as opposed to as a spamming machine which is often you know how other recruiters and sales people will, will, will use the tool so anyway, let's take things in a slightly different direction Um you may not be expecting this but if you had any superpower what would it be and why wow so i didn't prepare you for that right <laughs> yeah
0: no, you didn't prepare me for that. Any superpower. So, you know, when I was a kid, you know what the answer was? Invisibility. I, as a kid, it was about being invisible. Why? Because, you know, as a kid, I could sneak out of the house and you know, all, all of the, the mischievous things that, that a young boy would want to do. So invisibility was, was the one younger. But, um, but now I'll, I'll tell you it, just very briefly, you know, Superman uh, flying around the earth and spinning back time to, to save Lois Lane. I think, I think it would be the ability to maybe, I don't know if it's time travel or to, or to just manipulate time. That's what it would be. Manipulate time.
2: I love that question. Uh, you just never quite know what you're going to get. And I'm always uh, surprised and excited by the answers that people provide. Sometimes people go really silly and say things like not want to shoot ice from their hands. And then you get the thoughtful groups that, you know, really think about how they could use a superpower to, to benefit others. And you've kind of given an answer between the two that, 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 that covers both. So uh, fantastic. Thanks for that. Well, listen, we've got one more question before we jump into part two, where we're going to find out a lot more about your book. Uh, so last question is, if you could invite three people to a dinner party who would they be and why number one chuck yeager uh,
0: for those that don't know chuck yeager was the man credited with first breaking the speed of sound uh air, u.s air force pilot and uh, and then eventually test pilot um just the, the amount of failure that he experienced in his life uh in the pursuits that he was after and his perseverance to to continue to go through it is inspirational and, and so i i would absolutely love to have the, the ability to have conversation with him about that. Number two, Winston Churchill. And for, for, for fairly obvious reasons, I think uh, in the face of some just incredibly impossible and um, enormous situations and decisions, um, he was a person who was pragmatic, but inspirational who was uh, who played hardball where necessary uh, and, 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 knew when to, to pull back and obviously was a very complex person as a leader and as an individual, uh, as we, as most of us all are. And, uh, and so I, again, just an amazing person to learn from. And, um, the last I'll pick somebody living, I guess maybe now uh, I would pick Oprah Winfrey. Uh, I would pick Oprah Winfrey for my third person. Um, just an, an incredible visionary Uh, creating opportunity where opportunity was expressly prohibited at the time that she really started doing what she was doing and then has turned that into one of the most successful media organizations in the world.
2: I absolutely love those answers, fantastic. I mean, Oprah Winfrey in particular is someone I absolutely love and adore. She is an absolute master of the how and why question. If you want to get to the bottom of something and allow someone to find the answers for themselves, she is an absolute whiz. And it's, uh, it's well worth watching her with that mindset because she, it's an art form and uh, Oprah has absolutely mastered it. Well, listen, let's jump back into section two after this short advert break.
1: How can any recruiter understand my HR recruitment challenges? Please don't give up on your hiring challenges just yet. Here at JGA HR recruitment, we appreciate the difficulties associated with attracting, recruiting and retaining top human resources talent. We also understand just how costly a poor hire can be. JGA HR recruitment would like to partner with you to help you overcome your hiring challenges. Contact us today on 01727 800 377 or visit jgarecruitment.com to find out more. Shaping the future of human resources together.
2: Final questions. Now in the second part of the podcast, I really want to focus on your book. I think it's really important for those working in HR and d One one statistic I I found interesting in your book was the fact that you say that 41% of managers find it too difficult to build diverse teams with a deep sense of belonging. Now, you Hal, are really passionate about this, uh, this sense of belonging as being really critical to the success of, of, of businesses. So why do you think building a sense of belonging should be
0: an HR department or a, a manager's number one priority? Yeah, so, <clears throat> again, no, number one priority because at the foundation, um, you, you have people. And on top of people, you have process, you have systems, you have um, organizational uh, expectations. And then where really what we're, we're talking about is I like to think of it as kind of showing up to work is kind of going to battle in some ways, right? We're battling against the competition. We're battling against market pressures. uh, You you name it. There's, there's kind of a fight in the trenches, so to speak. And so to, to approach it from just a strictly, uh, you know, look for people, hire people, tell people exactly what to do, discipline people when they don't do exactly what they were told to do, let go of people, hire people, and, and kind of get into that system. We're making our priority the system or process we have, not our priority the people. And our people are the best indicator of what we can or should be doing within an organization. They're the ones who can, if they're doing it in the trenches, so to speak, they can give us the feedback um, about whether or not they find this to be helpful or the right thing in accomplishing what we've told them their job outcomes are. And so when you see performance issues, you see turnover issues, you see operational inefficiencies, many times those are just symptomatic of a culture that doesn't have the right people working together to achieve the outcome. Sometimes that's a leader. Sometimes that's a support role. And sometimes that's the individual contributor, but it all boils down to that culture piece. So when 41% of managers surveyed said that they're too busy to work on creating a diverse team that brings forward the best parts of collaboration and innovation to, to have a sense of belonging, what, That tells me is that you have 41% of managers who are working so hard, and again, no discredit to them as as individuals, they're working so hard to chase after all of these outcomes and put out fires and, and handle fire drills and take these conference calls and coach their people and do disciplinary action when appropriate, that they're all chasing symptoms and they're not really looking at evaluating and addressing the most important thing, which is the culture.
2: Sure, sure. In your book, you also talk about how any business of any size can improve and create a more divorced, belonging based culture. So I just wondered if you could explain what you mean by that and how they can go about achieving that.
0: Yeah. So if we start at the first principle, and that principle being understand what your values are um, and make sure that they have alignment across every individual job function in your organization. So if we start there, then it doesn't matter if you are an organization of 120,000 people or your organization of 12 people you you have that foundational element in your DNA so to speak of what your your organization is how it functions and then every piece of what you do from there every decision that you make about your process about your hiring about what markets you choose to to go after about how you interact with public or the competition all should align back to, in in a measurable way, those values or the culture that you've intentionally decided to build. Now, where this, on a large organization standpoint, has the best opportunity for success is that you have a lot of energy in a lot of internal marketing departments, internal PR departments, et cetera. And then, of course, leadership that can continue to message this over and over and over uh, with the teams and work to build out those behaviors and make sure that it lives on a, uh, uh, on the flip side though, in a large organization, you have so many layers and so many moving parts that it can get sometimes lost. and there can be assumption that yep, we're good, we're doing it. I just did a training on it last week. I just you know talked about it in my meeting this morning and uh, and so that's that's one of the risks in a large organization. so uh you know, taking that that very Simple and very limited approach to understanding that that you have to own it constantly. That that helps move a large organization. Now, for a small organization, it's it's a little easier. Typically, you're involved with or seeing people on a regular basis. Even if you have people working remotely, though, this is easy to accomplish. You may have a, a sales team that works, uh, you know, in a, a few different markets. You don't see them as regularly. E- even in a small company, it works just as good though by having that. That foundational alignment set up and established to begin with. And then making sure that it's a constant reinforcement through actions and behaviors, not just words.
2: Sure. And actually, we touched upon some of those aspects in the first part of the podcast. But one thing we're seeing in the industry at the moment is businesses are really trying to improve on their diversity and inclusion metrics, but they're still sometimes struggling to achieve their, their objectives or their targets. So with that in mind, what advice would you give to a manager, a leader or a business, if you like, that's really trying to improve their, their diversity and inclusion metrics, but perhaps are, are finding that very difficult at the moment?
0: Yeah. So the the first thing is to understand maybe why why those metrics are being measured and what the importance of those metrics being measured is. I do realize that, you know particularly here in the U.S. Um, to to be eligible as a a organization that you know, can get government contracts and qualify as a a organization that works with diverse vendors and suppliers, you ha- you have to have certain elements in these metrics that line up, but the i you know to to me it, it is a little curious if uh, i go into an organization who is working to get to maybe a you know 50% person of color uh, metric mix and they're at 21% right now and it's a little curious to me when i ask the question okay so what what is the benefit to your business outcome by being at 50% person of color mix and and it's often not articulated in any specific measurable way other than uh, unless it is specifically to, to be qualified as a diverse vendor supplier um, or to qualify for government contracts. Uh, oftentimes it's, it's a, a, an answer that is much more about, well, we're working to make sure we have diversity amongst um, our, our entire organization, or we want our organization to reflect the communities we serve. And those are all great kind of macro unmeasurable views. So for, for me, the, the thing I could tell you to, to help with achieving those goals is number one, understand why the goal is important, truly. like What, what are the business outcomes? What are the, what are the individual things that happen on a team that you're helping recruit for or hire for that are going to be a benefit by adding a candidate in? And once you define that, you, you probably get a better direction or sense of where you may be able to, to move your recruiting efforts. Um, where you may be able to start to look a little differently than you've been looking before, because you're not just now looking for, say, a person of color, but you know what? The reality is uh, a veteran or a, a person with disability um, who brings in all these things that are the culture add and has all the skills necessary to elevate this team in that job set, th- that may be fine too. And so, yeah, maybe I'm I'm a little off on this metric, but what am I doing to add diversity? Number one, of especially cognitive diversity, but number two, I'm actually helping support a business outcome, not just a top line metric.
2: Sure, sure, fantastic, excellent. So one thing I thought was interesting in your book is you talk a lot about brands uh, building, not just loyalty, but belonging with their customers. And with brands constantly competing for customer attention and ultimately sales, why do you think a brand should focus on building, belonging with its customers rather than just loyalty?
0: Yeah, great question. So I um, I wrote about this pretty extensively in a chapter in the book talking about SJC Drums, which uh, you, you read a review from their their co-founder um, about the book and very nice of him. Um, but I, I'm critical of, of some of the stuff that, that they do there, but what what I'm not in any way critical of, in fact, what I'm inspired constantly by is how they interface with their customers. So loyalty means that um, somebody is currently yours, whether it's in contract or it's by you know choice. Every time they're currently yours, they're currently voting and giving you know, their money to you. But loyalty can shift, can change if somebody has a better offer, or if more commonly, a person is aggrieved in some way by an interaction they had with your business, right? A sense of belonging is different. Loyalty just means, hey, yep, that's my person or that's my organization that I do business with. Belonging as a customer with a brand means you feel a part of the brand. You feel like there's a personal alignment of values between you and the brand. You feel like um, that there is that there's there's a community that you're a part of. So SJC Drums, by the way, uh, what they do? They're a small custom. Main drum manufacturing shop based in massachusetts in the united states but they have grown over 19 years now to this global brand they still do custom work but they also have a few other um, products in their line and it's a multi-million dollar brand that was grown out of you know a basement uh basically and so from the get-go what mike and and his brother scott have done in the organization is remember that that person who they are connecting with and potentially selling their drums to it, It's a person who has a lot of interests, who has a lot of um, things that are about them that aren't just about drums. So they celebrate and share every single person who buys drums from them, their birthday or what their band is doing or uh, a record that their band put out. They create a community. They don't call them customers. They call them family members. So every single person gets the, a welcome when they join the family or essentially buy the product. And then what's happened organically is all of these family members connect with each other on social media, offline, they create events all centered around their love of this company. It, this isn't created by the company. This is created by users or customers. They, they create events and they rally you know, to each other and support each other. And, uh, and, and so that piece right there is that part where once a person feels like, oh my gosh, I belong here. This is my family. This is my tribe. No longer, if they are aggrieved, do they just Im- immediately go somewhere else? If they're aggrieved, they express it and they share it and they give you an opportunity to, c- to correct that, which in the world of business is invaluable because candidly, most customers just don't give us a chance to correct when we make an, a mistake.
2: Sure. Now, love it. So you're absolutely building advocates within your brand and authenticity at the same time, which is really, really powerful. Really, really great stuff. Uh, make, makes total sense to me. Now, in your book, Belonging Factor, you're also very candid about something you call your privilege. And it's quite rare that someone shares something in a book that's actually that vulnerable and you, you leave yourself quite vulnerable in the book. So why did you devote an entire chapter to that topic? <coughs>
0: So I, I I came to realize. So I, I'm I'm a Caucasian male and cisgender. So you're straight white male. I I'm I'm the thing that right now is kind of in the the world of Me Too, and uh, the world that we kind of live in at the moment, particularly here in the U.S. I'm I'm the I'm the hey, you've been in charge for a long time, and we're going to take you down, kind of you know, guy, right. Um, Most boards and, and CEOs. In fact, Forbes magazine just got in a bunch of trouble because they put out a list of their most inspirational, hundred most inspirational CEOs and had like one woman on it. Uh, Right. So there's, there's a um, it's not a stigma. It's a reality that that we have this, this makeup of senior leadership in politics and business um, and influence and power in life of, of people like me. Well, I, I was raised in a, a pretty liberal home in a, a community in California. that was very diverse ethnically. I wasn't raised seeing uh, a different skin color, a different gender or a disability as a difference that somehow made us um, not like each other. Um, th- th- in fact, I wasn't even really raised to see these things as differences, just like a- as other people. So as I got into the world where, you know, to, the reality is that that is not how it always exists what i what i really came to understand was that i thought that i worked really hard and i earned every promotion and every opportunity i got and i did work hard but and i wasn't asserting my privilege but there there, w- there was likely privilege asserted to me uh just in the fact that i was able to get a meeting or get an interview or get something that maybe a female or person of color didn't get And not because of anything I did or not because of anything that person did, but because of a bias somebody else might have had, even if they weren't aware of their bias, right? So I devoted this chapter to understanding that there are unconscious biases and there are confirmation biases and things we've learned in our past or experienced in our past will inform our present. And so whether it's unintentional, like uh, 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 an unconscious bias, um, or even sometimes that, that confirmation bias where we just see a bunch of other people who look like us, so then we feel, hey, cool, Good. Uh, that confirms that I'm I belong in this space. Um, th- those things started to really come up more and more and more in my life. And what I really understood after I after I got out of the Navy, um, the U.S. Navy, and and got into some of my roles in work, um, I really started to see that okay, this is something that I need to be aware of because it's it's something that is being given to me, um, and so I need to start to become an ally. And, 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 you know, I mentioned the Navy, there's probably one short story that I'll tell. Um, I, prior to going to the Navy, I was in, in a kind of a pre Navy training program, like Boy Scouts for, for the Navy. And, um, and so that automatically kind of put me to a potential leadership role in boot camp. And so the, the recruit instructors saw that I had this experience. They made me the like recruit in charge of, of all of the guys in the boot camp. And what, uh, what was interesting is, you know, I went through my time, uh, I attributed that obviously to my hard work and the fact that I was a sea cadet, but in my time there, what I really started to to find out was in talking with folks is that there was another gentleman there, Jose Garcia, he was Hispanic, he had way more experience than me as a sea cadet. In fact, he outranked me and he was in better physical shape than I was. So he he would kind of, in my mind, be the, the poster boy person to do this more experience, you know? physically uh, more accomplished, yet he wasn't even considered to be that that person, to take that role that I had. And so again, you know, I didn't go ask my recruit instructors if this was because he was Mexican, but certainly that's an example for me where I saw early in my life where in the moment I didn't realize it, but in reflection, I came to understand that that was probably a privilege I received without me having to do anything to earn it.
2: Great, fantastic, and that pretty much brings us to the vault. But before we open it, I wanted to ask one last,
0: final question. And that's this: What does human resources mean to you? Human resources to me is an ally and partner to um, use people um, to accomplish business goals and to be the advocates for um, managers and and supervisors um, to look after their people the right way, develop and influence and lead their people the right way, as well as to be a channel for uh, people feedback to, you know, the, the feedback from employees, whether leaders or individual contributors to, to work back into executive ranks, to help make better decisions around hiring, firing, learning, training, onboarding, you name it. Um, it's, it's, it it. For me, human resources is the bridge to all things, people to deliver outcomes.
2: Fantastic. Well, we're going to open the L&D vault. Opening the L&D vault. Quick questions. In hindsight, Devin, what's one thing you now know that you wish you had known when you began
0: your career? Senior leaders are often insulated within their organization from honest feedback. And for me, I would have... I I would have wished I knew that so I could have more confidence to share and give um, honest feedback when it was asked for.
2: Excellent. What's the one common myth that you often hear in the workplace in relation to people, and can you debunk it?
0: Uh, Most common myth. It's either will or skill. So if if they have the training, then they must just not – not be willing to do it. So then we've got to replace them. Can I debunk that? Will or skill is, is probably a a simple method of categorizing where you want to start your journey of addressing uh you know performance issues. However, the part I would debunk is that if they have all the training, so they have the skills and they can demonstrate the proficiency and the skills, that then it's just a will issue. So you have to, you know, coach them out. The that's the part I would debunk that that, that is not the the only approach or the only solution. And I would debunk that through many experiences of my own, both being the person who had some, some of the challenges of the interest to accomplish it, as well as a person who has worked with countless others to help them find that. Um, As long as you can center on where the real motivation is, which is usually something involved in improving or sustaining a portion of their life that's important to them, whether it's uh, you know, a saving for a kid to go to university, or whether it is um, being able to to buy the first home, um, there is something in there that you can find that helps ignite that will, even beyond building a culture that is completely amazing. And you know, I'm, I'm just talking about one person and one thing you can do. So that that's where I, that's where I would land on that question.
2: No, I like that. Perfect. The last question before we, uh, we we close the podcast and just uh, find a little bit more about where our listeners can connect with yourself. What is the one piece of advice you would give to someone who was embarking on a career in human resources?
0: The one piece of advice I'd give to someone who's embarking on their career in human resources out of the get-go is trust, but verify. So trust that, people are being candid with you uh, whether it is somebody in your department or it's somebody that you support trust that they're being candid with you but verify to ensure that that you can help support whatever it is that you're being told with evidence of some kind uh, because uh, emotions can come up particularly when you know people are involved and the most important thing that as a a partner you can do for anybody you're supporting is to make sure that you take that fact-based approach to helping solve whatever that concern might be
1: fantastic useful links keeping the hr L d community connected
2: i ask you Devin, are there any particular sites or social links you would like to share now that uh, people can just uh, quickly access that you'd like just uh, to, bring to
0: the floor yeah if you want to know about more about the work um go to belongingfactor.com and you can see much of the work that's done. Obviously, check out the book. Connect with me if you're interested in working together. And also the podcast happens to be there. So you can check out that podcast uh, as well. And so that that's a great resource to go to. And, um, and I'm really looking forward to autographing a couple of books and sending them out to the winners.
2: Yeah, fantastic. And for those that are still staying tuned and haven't got the name, it's the Belonging Factor podcast. You can find it on iTunes and other uh, social channels as well. Whatever your favorite podcast channel provider is, uh, look at Belonging Factor podcast and hopefully you'll find that out as well. I will also include a link to the fantastic book in the episode notes. so You can access that and make your orders as you wish. Now, of course, if you are an HR or L&D professional listening to this podcast, and you have an HR, HIS or L&D-related vacancy, and you would love to work with a specialist HR recruiter, then please do get in touch with me. Uh, I would love to help show you what a great HR experience uh, can feel like. So you can reach out to me directly uh, at nick at jgarecruitment.com. And of course, that's the same email you need to use if you're interested in entering that competition as well. So that's nick at JGA recruitment.com so otherwise thanks for listening folks thank you ever so much devon for joining me today on the hr lnd podcast it's been an absolute pleasure and i look forward to bringing you all the next episode of the podcast real soon
1: Thank you so much for tuning in to the HR L&D podcast with your host Nick Day of JGA HR Recruitment. If you need help with a current HR or L&D vacancy, then please get in touch with Nick and his team. All contact details can be found in the episode notes. In the meantime, to make sure you never miss an episode, please subscribe to the show through any of your favourite podcast channels. Till next time.